the latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome back to the 442 Insider podcast. Uh, we've had our two-week off-season, Trev. Yep. Uh, I'm Pablo Valley Jackson. Joining me as always is uh, editor Trevor Trahan. We've... Uh, We've had a two-week off-season, mate. Even the Premier League boys get longer than us. I know, but you're in a slightly better location than me, though. <laughs> Indeed. I was away in Fiji getting married. So, uh, and now, uh, well, I'm still Mr. Andy Jackson. <laughs> that really that would have been a nice touch if you'd taken it, man. It doesn't really feel any different. But um, I thought I'd take two weeks off at a, at a reasonably uh, quiet time for football when I planned it about a year ago. But it wasn't really the case, because it was... Uh, Women's World Cups, under-17 World Cups, Celtic, Celtic games. So we're going to uh, we're going to kick off with a look at the uh, a wrap up of the Matildas group stages, which uh, concluded this morning uh, with a narrow um, nerve jangling at times. Trev mm. uh, win against Norway. Let, let's look at let's look at all three games. Let's uh, go back with the start against uh, Brazil. What do we what do we make of that? Well, look, I mean it was positive, wasn't it? Um, even the sort of Brazilian coach came out afterwards and said that you know Australia looked like a team that could win this tournament. Um, it was it was good to see that we were sort of positive. We were unlucky not to get a, at least a point out of that one. So, well, would you say now, having the way that the other groups have gone, lucky not to get a point because uh, had we topped the group mm. and taken something from the Brazil game or the... beaten them, we would have been playing the USA next. Yeah, yeah, true. So as it turns out, it wasn't the worst game to lose. Um, because now Brazil faced the USA. The USA got beaten by Sweden this morning. Um, and obviously the, the Matildas now face Sweden in the quarterfinals, who are who are ranked fifth in the current FIFA rankings. Uh, so it won't be easy. But um, and the, against Brazil, do you, I mean, I, it's rare for a, an Australian team to come away from a game against Brazil at any level and feel disappointed they didn't win. But that's yeah. probably where the where the girls were at. But, that, but that's exactly the attitude that's in the camp, though, isn't it? That they don't need to feel the need to, to fear them, especially a load of young players that you know couldn't care less about stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, especially Devanna's chance near the end, you felt it was a, a really good yeah, chance. Yeah, she to had get a couple a of half chances. Didn't yeah. She? All right. Um, okay, the second game uh, was the win against uh, Ecuador. <laughs> Anything Guinea. interesting happened in that game? <laughs> um, possibly the most ridiculous handball, <laughs> unspotted handball that I've ever seen. It's gone global, isn't it? I've oh, it's gone global, it. yeah, as it should do. Um, I mean, if she'd have held on to it any longer, it would have been an indirect <laughs> free kick for holding on to the ball too long in the area. Uh I'm sure that you've seen it, but if you haven't, uh, go to YouTube, type in Matilda's handball, Equatorial Guinea. Um, the defender caught the ball, held the ball for a couple of seconds. Turned around turned to show around, to the ref. Threw it back to the goalkeeper. <laughs> the goalkeeper then picked it up, got in on the act, thought, well, if she's going to have a crack, I might as well. And uh, then ran to the edge of the area and kicked it off, kicked into play and played on. Keep going. Keep playing, girls. Unbelievable. It's one of those things that you just... See, and you can't quite believe that four officials, uh, who you would hope are watching the ball, uh, mm. didn't see it. But um, it's bizarre. Um, but what did we make of the game? Obviously, uh, Servet Uzanla, who'd had a fantastic game against Brazil, mm. um, two errors, uh, you know, individual errors, just caught in possession twice by the same player. 
Mm. It's the sort of thing you need to sort of st- stamp out in the group stages because, say, you go into you know the the quarters against Sweden, that could be the only chance, you know, and you could end up going one out one nil. And and, just, and as you were sort of saying this morning, there seems to be a bit of a confidence dip since then. Yeah, um, it must be playing on a mind being at a World Cup and making a, a series of mistakes now. I've also got a little bit. I was thinking about it on the drive in this morning, and, and I knew we were going to do the podcast. I, I'm never a fan of uh, of changing your keeper. And I do think that, you know, the goalkeeper's role is is significantly more than just saving shots. You know, the yeah. goalkeeper organises the defence. Especially when they're your captain. The goalkeeper coaches the defence through the game. And I just wonder, with uh, with Lydia Williams playing, playing her first game in the World Cup, um, you know, and, and such a you know, high-pressure situation, maybe did, did Servetos and Lark get the right sort of communication, how close the player was to her. And, and yes, it was an individual error, but it just made me think was there more going on there. But, you know, as we saw this morning, I, I definitely think it has affected her confidence because uh, we didn't look particularly strong at the back through the centre, which traditionally has been a, a, a real strong point for Matildas. Um, mm. you know, and, and the concerning thing was was that you know, Tom Somali gave an interview two days ago where he said, we know exactly how Norway are going to play. They're going to lump the ball forward at the earliest opportunity. They're going to put some high balls into the area. And even though we knew that, we didn't we didn't seem to be able to cope with it. Yeah, yeah. The, and I think Tommy's quite um, acutely aware that that's how teams seem to be attacking us. Lots of long balls. It, it was very similar again this morning with Norway. And you have to be able to deal with them because really it should be bread and butter at the back. Long balls, should you should better get rid of them all day. They shouldn't be a threat. Um, but yeah, look, lots of changes for the second game. Not a massive surprise if you watch the Matildas in the Asian Cup, which yeah. you've done pretty much the same thing for yeah. the second game in the group stages. But yeah, goalkeeper, especially when you, your goalkeeper's your captain. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he was thinking of a very odd chance that you know Barbieri could pick up a red card or you know something like that. I, I couldn't imagine any other reason. Or does he do it for morale that everyone gets a you know? You know, feel like they're rotating and part of the team. Yeah. I don't know, um, and I, to be honest, I haven't seen any comments from him. I'm, I'm sure he has made some. Um, so yeah, but big changes, and, and I think we were wrong wrong to assume that that was going to be an easy game because they they yeah. looked, you know. Well, he said all along, Tom, that, that he doesn't have a first eleven. Mm. You know, he has a squad of players, and he picks the, the team to play the game. And and, and I, I agree with that, and I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just think goalkeeper is such a pivotal position for the whole team that mm. I worry about bringing players in and out and players get out of their rhythm or they come in and they might be affected by nerves and as we saw with the Socceroos in 2006 with Kalach coming in um, for yeah. the Croatia game you know we, know we know how that ended up but it worked out okay in the end um, again this morning uh, from an uh, attacking perspective obviously Kaya Simon popped up with the, with the two important goals I mean how did you think that that works? Because she didn't have the best of games. I mean, she, you know, she scored two goals. Yeah, yeah. She's a centre forward. You know, she wins the game. But up until, you know, apart from the goals, I, I, I thought I didn't think she'd had the best game. And I, and I actually think she's she's probably struggled to impose herself at this level. I've, I've felt from the first three games really. Yeah, I mean, she had a couple of goals. She had another nice move. She she, she seemed to link up with. Savannah well though yeah which suggests there's something there I mean there, there was one moment where she laid it off to the left and made a great run in loads of space and you know the goalkeeper come across and cut it out that time so there's a feeling that those two um, and there's there's no doubt in um, Devanna's like pedigree and quality yeah. you know she's fit she's got to play so if you've got someone that links up well with her then you've got to feel that they're worth you know continuing persevering yeah. with and I mean no 
great uh, sort of example of, of Lisa Devala's importance to the team was was in how quickly she got Australia back into the game because mm. you know particularly the manner of the goal they conceded with a defensive mix up between uh, Barbieri and Uzala. Yeah. Um, you know, it would have been very easy for the Socceroos to have taken five or six minutes to recover from that. The heads down, oh, what have we done, you know. Yeah. But Devanna chased the ball into the corner directly from the goal, from the, from the restart. Yeah. Dispossessed the player, kept her head, found Kaya Simon, and within a minute, the, the, the Matildas are level, which, you know, was totally down to her sort of perseverance and energy and, and awareness, really. Um, so I mean, to, to be massively commended for that, and and every time she gets the ball, you you feel that um, you know something's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So obviously Sweden next. The quarterfinals are uh, are up next. The games come quick and fast now because it's only a, a, a three week tournament. We're straight into the quarterfinal stage. Um, the quarterfinals look like this: uh, Germany will play Japan, England will play France, uh, Sweden will play Australia, and Brazil will play the USA. Um, Sweden v Australia uh, is Sunday night. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, Sunday night, 9 o'clock, it says on the FIFA website. So nice and, uh, and that's perfect, prime time kickoff time. You're going to be in because it's a Sunday, Sunday night. evening. Yeah. A few large arrows. <laughs> sit down at 9 o'clock. Hey, Simon, you'll be doing that, are you? Yeah. Free to air on SBS. S- Beautiful. Sweet. Do you think that Sweden and Australia might receive um, wider viewing figures from, from the world? What are you trying to say? Well, I'm just... You know, it seems Sweden, Australia seems like it will appeal to people that wouldn't previously be watching the game. Yeah, I mean, what's been interesting and great to see has been the crowds. You know, the crowds yeah. there have been fantastic, and uh, the mean, stadiums have been fantastic. That, you know, and that's probably the one thing you'd say about the Asian Cup. You know, even though Australia won it, you know, there weren't huge crowds there. You mm. know, generally they were pitches in the middle of a massive running track and. You know, this is playing in, in quality stadiums, you know, 25, 30,000 crowds. And it, it definitely, I feel, always adds to the spectacle. You know, football is meant to be played in front of crowds. Exactly, yeah. It's good to see, you know, Brazil and USA going up against each other so we know that... You well, know, yeah, you know, one, one, of, the, one of the big guns there is going to, you know, he's going to go out. I mean, you know, you look at... The, the, it's sort of gone to form, really, you'd probably say, in that, you know, the majority of, the, you know, those eight teams are all... In the top eleven FIFA ranked teams, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, USA are one, Germany are two, Brazil are three, Japan are four, Sweden are five, uh, France are seven. Yep. England are ten, and Australia are eleven. So Australia are actually the lowest ranked team to have qualified for the. Uh, okay. For the uh, for the last eight. So. And what side are we on? As in, who would we potentially meet? Um, I think that we play. The winners of Germany, Japan. Yeah, because it can't we... be Brazil, USA. I think I, I saw this morning that the winner of England and France plays the winner of Brazil and USA. So that would mean, potentially, if we if we can beat the Swedes, we would have uh, Germany in the uh, semi-final. Right, yep. On but German soil. Maybe an England-Australia final, could you imagine? So, I mean, how, how does Tom approach this? He's had three games now. So he's had a look at probably most of the players in the squad. Mm. Um you know, how do we think he's going to line up against Sweden? Well, um, do, does you know, does he look at Uzunla's performance, where she definitely seems to have been affected by the uh, by the game against Equatorial Guinea? 
is this the time to take her out of the firing line or, or would that potentially be even more damaging for her confidence? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of those decisions that you can only make if you're with her and you can actually yeah. speak to her face-to-face. And if, if, you know, if Tommy and Spence speak to her and, and do think that confidence is shot, then, yeah, she does have to be dropped. But if they can, you know, rile her back up again, you know, she has got the quality to play there. It's just <laughs> a series of, you know, shocking mistakes. But, you know, if they can get her back inside, then I, I still think that... She should play there. Um, in terms of, of approach game, we say Tommy doesn't know who his best eleven are. Well, you know we're knockout stages now, yeah. So there's, there's not going to be time for sort of rotating. So who he selects against Sweden, which will be pretty much who he thinks is the best. And I, and I think, um, you know, I quite like the um, Kerr, Simon, Devanna. If, if those three, very similar to how they played today, I like. To yeah, see I mean. I think I think Sam Kerr as well seems to have struggled with the step up at this level. Um, I know you know I think some some of her decision making's been poor when she's been in possession and has tried to maybe almost look like she's trying to do a little bit too much. Um, I I really like Lena Karmis and I think she you know yeah I she's think got she's, a... she's a, the natural sort of leader of the line that and and I'd potentially look at Karmis leading the line with Devana playing just behind yeah. and running onto the ball and Kaya Simon on the other side. Um, instantly, had, uh, she was probably you know player of the match against uh, Equatorial Guinea was Emily Van Egmond, scored mm. a cracking goal, had a great game. Uh, she didn't play today. Do we see her coming back in? I, I thought that the, the the introduction of Claire Polk in, all in, in midfield was was to counter the sort of physicality that they knew was going to come from Norway. Yep. Um, does he go back and and look at a more ball playing? at the central midfield yeah I mean Sally Shippard as well yeah. was was another player that didn't feature this morning that you would often expect to be playing um, God I mean it's not easy to, to pick teams but picking Tommy's teams are particularly difficult yeah. and it's a good problem to have isn't it um, I, I can see the more experienced players coming through for the knockout stages so that they, they don't get overawed by that so I do think that, that Shippard might be back in yeah. for those one. okay well congratulations to, yeah. the, to the girls and the and Tom and Spencer, the coaching staff, and uh, to the supporters that are out there in Germany, great to see a, a good, uh, healthy uh, contingent of green and gold in the stands. And uh, the whole country, I'm sure, uh, you know, not just the football fraternity, because I think over the next few days we'll see the, the, the PR ramped up, and because uh, we know that uh, Australians love a sporting winner in any, uh, oh, in any yeah. sport. So uh, I'm sure that the viewing figures will continue to build, and hopefully with a, with a friendly uh, kick-off time on Sunday night, there will be... Uh, a fair chunk of the uh, the nation watching and getting behind the girls. So congratulations, and uh, we're behind you right away. So that's it for part one. We'll be back in uh, part two to look at the uh, other major tournament that, that was going on uh, that overlapped slightly with the Women's World Cup, which was the Under-17 World Cup. So we will, uh, we'll just cast a, re- a quick review on that in part two. So join us after the break. This month's 442 magazine features the 50 drills and skills guaranteed to make you a better player. So you can dribble like Messi, shoot like Ronaldo, volley like Rooney, pass like Xavi and head like Cahill. It also features our look at the death of Brazilian football, plus exclusive Lucas Neal and Aaron Moy interviews. Grab the new 442, it's on newsstands today. The latest on the world game, this is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to this week's 442 Insider Podcast. We are going to move away from the Women's World Cup and have a look at the uh, a brief review of the wrap-up of the Under-17 World Cup, which uh, didn't end in glory for the uh, for the Joeys by any stretch. Um, they did make the knockout stages. And, and you know, let's be fair, that was a very difficult group. 
Yep. Um, they did well to get out of the group. Uh, they had a slice of fortune with a with the replay game against Denmark. It was uh, called off after about 20 minutes when they were one nil down and, and looked down and out. Um, mm. Was it three out of the four that got out of the group though? Yeah, they so, got yeah. yeah. Um, but they uh, they fought back well with the replay the following day uh, and came back for, with ten men to equalise late on to secure their progression. But then, fair to say, they were they were never really in the game against Uzbekistan and uh, and ran out got walloped really uh, and two red cards in that game. So um, we seem to have a problem with uh, discipline at World Cups. Yeah, on the on the men's side of things, well, you know, there is a stereotype. Two red cards uh, in South Africa. Three red cards here. Mm. Is yeah. this a concerning trend, do we think? Or, or, or is this more the the reputation of Australian well, players preceding it and, and, you know, referees are looking for it? Yeah, look, the, the stereotype of Australian players is that they're tough tackling and hard and they're, they're not going to put out. And to be honest, that, that is largely correct. Um, it, they're extra sensitive at World Cups, aren't they? Even though that's the one place where you don't need red cards to ruin games, it's not that hard to get sent off at a World Cup. Um, <laughs> and uh, as we've proven you know, in recent times, I, I don't think discipline's a, a massive problem. I think it would be a bigger concern if we had a, you know, a series of red cards for things like you know, kicking off the ball and spitting, you know, stuff that's real you know, discipline problems rather than you know, yeah. mistimed tackles and what have you. Yeah. Uh, okay, I mean, let, you know, let's let's look at it as a whole, and let, you know, obviously the the predictable um, response from uh, from Fozzy over at SBS was sacked <laughs> and you know, he's got to go. Um, yeah, is it as simple as that, Trev? You know, I mean, obviously, much was made of the fact that he's had this group for for eighteen months. You know, predominantly the AIS group that that he works with mm. day in day out. Um, you know, it still looked to me. Even though that they were familiar with the system, that they they weren't quite technically able to execute it. Mm. You know, we we were trying to play out from the back and and but not being able to control the ball. And, yeah, you know, but just it always appeared like with that they were uncomfortable with the system, even though it's obvious or you would hope that after eighteen months they know the system. Mm, yeah, I mean there is big talk about the next generations purely because there's been a huge investment and, and hamburger. Um, you know, he's doing a good job. You know, I've, I've been impressed with his ideas. But my interpretation of, of the curriculum and, and when we'd really start to see it, um, you know, come through was that they were focusing on a slightly younger age. I don't know what, you know, you, the yeah. kind of 8 to 12-year-olds, I understand, were going to be the ones best drilled in that. Um, and it's going to be a little bit more difficult for the kind of 16, 17-year-olds to kind of pick it up. But as you say, I mean, he has had 18 months, you know, to work with these guys. Um and we've been told that it's not so much about results, it's about how they played. Um, and they got a result in the first game. Yeah, didn't play necessarily how we would have wanted them, them yeah. to. Um, so, so there's massive room for improvement. You know, talking about generations, that they were concerned about the under-20s, weren't they? Saying that, you know, that there, there's a slightly big gap between the, the established Socceroos now down to this next generation, which is the under-17s. Yeah. That to me doesn't seem to be the case. I, I, these, this group, based on this World Cup, seem more problematic than the the generation that are just above them. Not the generation, the group that's yeah. just above them. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of work to, to be doing. I mean, how much face time do they have with these players? I mean, you know, say Dylan Tombolis who's at West Ham. Yeah, you know, with, how, how much I, time I mean, is he spending with him? I don't know, but with the majority of the players that are at the AIS, I mean, it's daily. 
Yeah. You know, they, they are full-time at the AIS. So, um, I mean, my, you know, the, the, the problem will always be, though, is that, you know, if, if players are going into the AIS at 15, 16 and don't have the necessary technical ability... Exactly then you can't teach that at that age. All you can do is organise them and put them into, you know, in, into the structure that you want them to play. Um, but ultimately, you know, when push comes to shove and under pressure in a pressure environment, that technique will let them down. You know? yeah. And that, that still appears to be happening. And, and my, my concern is that, that you know, the, the funding that's going into the AIS programme and, and those sort of programmes is, is it going in at the right level? Mm. You know, should we be funding more at the 9 to 12 year old level to give these kids the technique because um you know they've they've got the the skill aroos programs and the skill acquisition instructors um but it's one per state mm. you know the, and so the, the the amount of reach that those those one FFA skill acquisition instructors which undoubtedly you know is a massive step forward that they, they can only sort of really impact a, a finite number of kids you know yeah. and, and I think that we need to look at you know, who is coaching our sort of nine to 12 year olds? What qualifications do they have? What funding do they need? And, you know, that's really where, you know, we've got our sort of, uh, you know, our, our drills and skills issues uh, that's just out at the moment. And Alf Galustian, who's our, our contributor from Curva, you know, he is a specialist at this at this age, mm. you know, and, I, and I, I, I'd rather, I'd like to see a sort of, you know, look into, you know, what are we doing with kids between nine to 12 to give them that, that bedrock of sort of technical ability so that when they come to 15 and 16 they can play in a in a different system they can play a variety of systems but also Chev I mean do you not think that you know if a system isn't working or the players aren't capable of executing it you need to change the system um well yeah if I you're mean, a coach if you know, well yeah I mean a lot of coaches will talk about you know, fitting their best players into a system rather than having a system and, and just getting, you know, whatever players you can to, to sort of, you know, play that way. Um, it depends, you know, the, this move towards the four three three and and doing it, is it something that should be pushed to the younger lads, as in they'll be the first generation to come through with it, and this sort of generation we've got at the moment should be a bit more flexible? Well, I mean, that's the way it looked like it should have been at the World Cup. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, but perhaps we've got to have a little bit more leeway because it feels a bit like, oh, you just let them go. Well, you know, we're not going to catch them now. There's no point putting this system in place. And and I think that's why they haven't done that. You know, that's why they're playing the system is because if they introduce it, they have to feel like it's all inclusive and you, you're not the lost generation that didn't yeah. get in there before they could teach it to you. I think as well the issue is that, always, you know, Australia has had, you know, probably you know, amazing success for a nation its size previously, you know, the under nine, uh, the 1999 Joeys, I think they had the final, yeah. um, you know, Olympics, they made semi-finals, you know. And so, that, so there have been these little pockets of teams that have massively overperformed. And, and the people like, I guess, the Craig Fosters will, will point to that and say, well, under the old structure, we were, yeah. we were more successful. But I guess, was that... A, just because you had a very special group of players, you know, the likes of the Ned Zelliches and the Paul O'Cons yeah. that just happened to be the same age and coming through. Yeah. Uh, or was that a result of the coaching? You know, yeah. Like, oh, like, there's loads of other aspects, especially at tournaments, you know, moments which change games and, and you know, luck that goes your way and the morale of the team. It's, it's too simplistic to look back and go, oh, look at that team. That must The whole system must have been better back then. Yeah. But you do have to offer a little bit of perspective on this. I mean, look at England. I mean, 
the budget that they've got that they're throwing in because they they've got a similar issue haven't they they're, yeah, they're, they're trying to do oh, and, I mean, and in a lot of ways you know and reading about you know Gareth Southgate's just been taken on board obviously yeah. Trevor Brooking's been there a long time you know they they're talking about things that we've already done here mm. you know they're talking about adopting a dutch style national curriculum mm. you know for to, that's a mandated development program you know, nationally for all sort of, you know, youngsters. We've already got that, mm-hmm. you know, but I think the problem is, and I said this on Twitter yesterday, is that once the English FA get the plan, they have so much more money yeah. to execute it. You know, there's so much more money in the game there. Um, and that's where I think we struggle here, you know, is that it's a very sort of top top down system in that, you know, the Socceroos and the, 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 the elite senior teams get absolutely everything they need but yeah. I think we need to look at well okay what are we doing at that at that younger age than the AIS to bring these kids through yeah um, I mean do we think that our expectations are, are realistic or yeah because because I think as much as we sort of like to preach the the idea about you know performances over results if they'd won that world cup playing a different style, you know, that would be a completely different conversation. Um, and, yeah, it's going to take time. We're not 10 years on from the curriculum coming in. We're we're not that long at all. And we're talking about a generation that wouldn't have had, wouldn't have been doing it since they were seven, eight years old. So, yeah, I, I do think we have to curb our expectations a little bit. And the Uzbekistan result looks bad, yeah. But they've had a system, you know, I was reading a little and bit about their system. they an awful system. lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> a significant amount of money. So they're seeing the results of, of a, you know, bigger spending, longer term program. So, you know, hey, that, that's kind of good in a way because it shows it, it works. But I think, you know, the layman looking at that and going, it's Bekistan. And they would have seen the soccer, you know, the Socceroos do against them and, and what have you. Um, it's not the same at youth level because everyone's trying something different. So, yeah, I'd, you know, we made the knockout stages. I mean, I know three out of the four teams do. The performances weren't the best, but I don't think it's the, you know, the the end of the world. I mean, that, you know, to talk about a player like Dylan Tombolis, you know, just one West Ham Academy player of the year, likely to be playing in the championship next season. You know, it, I've spoken to people at West Ham about him. They think he's a really, really good prospect. So there's, yeah. you know, the, the, there's still positives in that team. Okay, and obviously the next uh, after the women's World Cup, we've got the under twenty World Cup, thick yeah. and fast. And uh, you know, you probably say looking at that that I don't know whether it's just because we know more of the names and we've seen a fair few more of them play, um, but you'd probably say that that this it's probably a, a better crop, a better equipped crop to go and. Uh, yeah, I mean, especially with players like um, he's in the mag this month, Aaron Moore. Aaron Moore, yeah, um, Meany. Yeah, Meany, and they're the type of players that you know we've been craving. Um, Kevin was at the um, Socceroos Singapore game. I know it's just Singapore. So Ollie Sorry, Ollie yeah. Roos, yeah, yeah. Ollie Roos Singapore game, and he was blown away by Aaron Moore. And, and the, the interpretation of him is he's he's a um, Westfield's high school boy from Sydney that you know has yeah. brought through several players that all have that good technical ability he spent years at a Premier League club albeit Bolton he may be at St Mirren now but I think that's slightly misleading I, I think that he's got the ability I mean it's not going to be easy to sort of dislodge someone like Brett Holman how he's playing but I think he's a genuinely you know creative technically sound attacking midfielder um, and I mean he's you know the same we'll, we'll talk to him about him in the next section about his, his move overseas eventually so yeah, it's, it's not all doom and gloom, I don't think. A little bit more patience, a little bit more um, 
curbing her expectations. Excellent. Well, we need all the football we can get because we're in the middle of the longest off-season ever. Yeah, uh, but it so feels like so much with the competitions and, and with Harry. I mean, people yeah, know about the Harry story, but... Yeah. Well, that's it. We'll, uh, we'll take a break and we'll be back in part three to have a look at some of the news headlines, local news headlines on our website, au.442.com. We all have goals, but sometimes we need a little help along the way. The best advice and assistance on your journey can make an enormous difference. Tiger Management and PR represents up-and-coming and established TV and radio presenters, performers and sports people. So if you're wondering how you'll rise to the next level, engage the services of Tiger Management and PR and you'll no longer be alone. Call 1-300-784-212 to find out more or visit tigermanagement.com.au. To 442 Insider. Hello, welcome to this back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. Uh, we touched on this just before the break. We're going to look at some of the news headlines this week on our website au.442.com. Uh, Mustafa Amini has uh, signed for Bundesliga champions Borussia Dortmund. Uh, however, he will stay with the Mariners until May the 31st. So he will play for the Mariners this season and the group stages of next year's Asian Champions League. So it uh, seems like we, we, we got a compromise that everybody was happy with in the end, which which is always good to see, Trev. Yeah, I mean, in the past, and, and this is when I've talked about sort of European deals, um, I, I don't like the idea of selling the player and loaning them back because I think that that player feels like they've left. And it's sort of strange to be sold and then still at your old club and you, you're kind of in this strange in-between place. But I think it might be different for Amini you know, because he's still in Australia. Um, so I don't think there's going to be that, you know, you know, much of a distraction. And I think he's, you know, got his head screwed on enough that he's still going to apply himself next season. I still just yeah. think it's a weird thing to, to have your head turn that much to actually sign another deal and then to come back and try and win a But also, I think if you look at his schedule... Um, you know, I think this is a smart move from Dortmund because they're, they're getting an advantage of him playing regularly and the benefit of obviously the A-League season not mm. being a nine-month season. He would have gone, he would have had to have left, if he'd have gone to Dortmund now or moved to Germany now, he would have left to have joined up with the under-20s in Colombia mm. to FIFA tournament, so they would have lost him for that, so yeah. he would have missed most of the pre-season. Uh, he's in, heavily involved in the Olympics qualifiers, so he would have been released for those. So he may as well be here and, yeah. and playing regularly. And I think, I think it's a very smart move from Dortmund. Otherwise, they, they probably wouldn't have seen it. It would have been a very sort of, uh, you know, staccato, you know, broken up start to his career there. So I think this represents a really good uh, move for both parties. Yeah. Um, one returning Tsukuru, uh who made a similar move over to, uh, to Nuremberg in Germany, but has, uh, has now come back to the A-League is Dario Vidicic. Yeah, good. Yeah, good move. This there's a few people talking about. You know, it does annoy me sometimes. And Twitter's Twitter's just another vehicle for the doom and gloom people to, you know, just sort of pour oil on, every, on everything. Really, you know. What were they saying? Always, I feel missing. Oh, this, he's coming back with his tail and his legs. Wasn't as good as he thought he was. <laughs> Went to Germany, didn't make it. And now he's coming back to the A League. Well, sure yeah. That. I mean, that, that's the glass half empty way of looking at it, or the glass half full way of looking at it. Is a current Socceroo, uh 
um, is coming back to uh, to play in the A League, mm-hmm. you know, and, and largely thanks to I, I believe the, the the attitude of the current national coach, you yeah. know, unlike the last one. Yeah, and, and yeah. we've got an A League that's appealing. Yeah, you know, yeah, the shouldn't... last Socceroos coach virtually said, you know, well, did say, <laughs> yeah. if you want to be in the Socceroos squad, you can't be playing in the A League. Yeah. We've now got a, yeah. So even if it's playing second tier football in in you know, European League. We've now got a coach who is willing to play players who are playing in the A-League mm. and we should welcome back players at, at this age back to playing in where we can see them every week. Yeah. The guy's 24 years old, you know. It's... Um, yeah, you, know, you look at how somebody like Matt Mackay has developed, and he's you know he's he's still playing in the A League, and I think this is uh, this is a great move. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and they had to move quickly to go with the disappointment of uh, Flores, you know, doing one, and he's a a similar sort of you know player. He's Aussie. He's a good age. Um, yeah, it's it's a good move. I, I struggle to see where the you know the main criticisms are in terms of having those sorts of players overseas. We've got an abundance of these type of you know, attacking midfielders. Australia in general doesn't seem to strike. Goalkeepers and midfielders, yeah. stacks of them. So I don't think it's a, a big problem that he's coming back at all. Yeah, and uh, and also, you know, the other the other big plus for this, and, and if, you know, we'll talk about Harry in a minute, but, you know, also if Harry ends up back in the A-League, is this helps Holger significantly for the World Cup qualifying? Because, you know, we, we know that some of the key games are not going to be on FIFA dates. So the more mm. players that he can call on from the A-League because they will release them. Um, you know, it, it makes qualifying all that more easier so we don't have a situation where, you know, we're struggling to pick up results in key games simply because clubs won't release players. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that that's in his thinking as well, you know, and, and part of the players' thinking is like, right, I'm going to come back because also, you know, World Cup qualifiers start in September. Yep. Uh, all right, let's talk about it. Harry, on again, off again, Sydney, Melbourne. What is Europe. the deal? What is it? We're going to kick off with explaining exactly how it works because oh, there's a lot God. of confusion. Oh, well, God, Trev, you're, you're closer to this than anyone. Well, no, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. You, you talk about the 70 30 split, about how, it, how it's going to work. Um, I'm not sure how public all of the figures are, um, but what, what Bernie was clarifying. Um, was the seventy thirty percent is additional fans uplift uplift, yeah. uplift from your average, average attendance, yeah. um, and then they've got to deal with the FFA to get a certain slice of that each each game home and away. Yeah, but the misconception was that every team in the league would be paying for him. Am yeah. I right in saying that? Yeah. That's what people thought. So but the FFA are paying it. Yes, the clubs still get the revenue. Basically, yeah. yeah. And, and as part of that deal, Harry would become, you know. The FFA's, you know, face of um, football over here, and they would fleece him for as, as much publicity as they possibly can. Which I understand, pretty much all A League players have got an agreement saying that they have to do all promotional work anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, I, mean, I mean, Dwight York, <laughs> yeah, ended up pretty much being the face of the A League, but I wasn't aware that he had a separate contract with the FFA to that end. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just think you know the whole thing is, is you know, Bernie's got his negotiation stance or his model that he's put into clubs for for Harry to come back here. Brilliant. No problem with that. FFA are are getting involved. They understandably want to capitalise if Harry is going to come back. No problem with that. Where I have the problem, and this is probably strange for me in the media, is why does it have to be played out in the media? (laughs) Yeah. You know, because my concern is that 
this is a great news story. You know, Harry Kuehl, the probably up there, him and Tim Cahill, and you know, probably the best modern day footballers that Australia have produced. Coming back to the A League at 32 should be a story that lifts everyone involved in the game at a, at a time when everybody involved in domestic football really needs it. And it's in danger of being flogged and played out in the media so that even the fans of the club that Harry Kuehl ends up signing for, some of them will be like, oh, God, you know, we don't want him. Mm. And I just think it, it's just a shame that, you know, we, 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 that him coming back, the gloss has potentially been taken off it by the the very public nature of the the, the, the deal and the, the, the negotiations to get him back here. And, and the problem is, is that I think what it will do is just create unnecessary pressure on Harry to deliver very quickly because if he doesn't, mm. you know, it, it, as we saw with John Aloisi, you know, like, Nobody's sacred, you know, and, and fans will will get oh. on his back. You oh, know? But they will turn on you. There's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, another side issue from this is that the FFA money for this was coming from this extended marketing budget that they had. Um, I, I wonder how much they've had to suck, sort of hold up what they're doing ahead of the new season while they're still waiting to see if this happens because they don't really know where to allocate their money for next season. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, well, and also one of the dangers of this sort of, you know. Uh, he earns as throughout the season, depending on the crowd, is the FFA would struggle to budget for that. Yeah. You know, how you much do you allow? You know, it's like, so I can understand the, the, the difficulties, but, you know, and, and I think Bernie's issue was the fact that he was annoyed that Carl Patterson, or he felt that Carl Patterson had gone public with the details of this deal when he didn't mm. have to, and hadn't made it actually as clear, you know, clear at, at what it actually was entailing. Mm. Um, so it's a 70% lift of home games. I don't know. <laughs> I still don't know. Well, th- th- this is the problem, though, isn't it? Yeah. About how clear it is even the the stuff coming out after, going right. We just want to clear it up, and then it's sort of finished, and and you're still not entirely, you know, sure. But I mean, I think home uplift that there's a bigger proportion compared to what he gets yeah. away. But if he's injured or if he's not playing, he doesn't get anything. Yeah. So I mean, compared to what he he's been on so far in his career. You'd still have to feel that even if he played every game, he wouldn't be anywhere yeah, near I, I, as much. You know, I, I don't mind the model. I just don't think it needs to be public. You yeah. know, I'd just rather that the clubs do the deals. You know, it's like and yeah, you know, one of the big concerns for clubs and you know, and Sydney FC have been burnt on this with Janino is paying top dollar for someone who comes and gets injured and doesn't play for a couple mm. of months. You it's know? not a very long season, and this safeguards the clubs from that. You know, so I, I, I don't mind the model. Um, I'd just rather that clubs did their business and the FFA did their business and we were unveiled with one of Australia's best players in a Melbourne or a Sydney shirt and everyone could be happy about it. Yeah. Um, so it does still seem that it's down to Melbourne or Sydney. Uh, Melbourne had a press conference that said that they still very uh, consider themselves very much in the race to sign him. and that the <laughs> Press you know, conference the, about nothing. The FFA... <laughs> wrangling was it was a blip you know that they thought was uh, that they could uh, they could get over so we remain to be seen i mean it, there's a, there would be a great opportunity uh, next wednesday night to unveil harry kill as a melbourne victory player when they host celtic um so i'm sure if i was at melbourne victory, i would be doing everything in my power uh to try and get that deal over the line in time for that because that would give that fixture a whole new meaning whether he plays or whether he's just presented to the supporters at that game yeah all right, well, sticking with Melbourne Victory, uh, and is this in some way linked? Um, because uh, there was a rumour, Aidan broke a story last night, uh, that Carlos Hernandez is on trial at uh, Rail Salt Lake, 
one of the great names in world football, um, for, for a stint to the MLS. Yes. Um, some interesting comments in the story, though, about the fitness. That the MLS club were less than impressed with the physical condition of yeah. Carlos. Yeah, so we know it's definitely him over there. Anyway, yeah. we've, not, we've not got mixed up with someone else. Um, yeah, I mean... I don't think that I don't think it's linked to the Harry thing. I, I get the impression it's something separate. And if they, if you know, Carlos wants to stay and they can get Harry, they'll end up with both of them. Um, but if they don't get Harry and Carlos wants to go, they'll have neither of them. Um, it, from the sounds of that story, they weren't blown away from him. But there's been nothing really concrete, nothing from him or the club or Victory or anything to say that um, how likely the deal is. Um, is he over there just to stay fit? Well, he doesn't bother doing that in Melbourne, so I find it hard to believe he's flown to the US to do it. So, yeah, w- wait and see. I don't think it's going to happen. Though. Okay. Uh, we talked about victory playing Celtic um, next Wednesday. Uh, Celtic started their Australian tour uh, with a 1-0 defeat last Saturday uh, at the ANZ Stadium in front of just under 20,000 fans um, to the Central Coast Mariners. Trev, you're out there? Yep. I was in a private suite though, so I was, you know. So you weren't busy, one of the eleven that tried to uh, get onto the pitch. <laughs> no, that, that was good. Well, what was interesting about the, the people that they say eleven people tried to get on the pitch. What happened is the first person who tried to get on the pitch got wiped out by a steward in a, one of the most spectacular ways I've ever seen. What state of origin? Type yeah, I coat mean, hanger. absolutely clattered him, and the people behind him all of a sudden. A few doubts crept in. <laughs> all, of, all of a sudden, it didn't look like such a good idea to run on the pitch, and it it sort of um, so no worries about a, a five bit. grand fine. They were more worried about being cleaned out by one of the security. I think guys. so. Yeah, there, I mean, there's a few people, you know, not not let in for because um, they were too intoxicated. A few people ejected because they were too intoxicated. I mean, you know, relatively big numbers. Um, but look, there, there was a real party atmosphere to it there in their defence. I mean, a lot of people who, who live over here that perhaps wouldn't have seen their team Celtic in years, um, you, you, you can't justify the state that some of them got in. Um, but yeah, that, that, well, I think it was, I was always like as I was being sent photos of them on the steps of the opera house at about 11 o'clock yeah. on Saturday morning. Yeah. It's not surprising that a few of them were worse for wear by 8 o'clock yeah. at night. That, that's what someone at the game said to me. He goes, oh, you know, I bet they've been drinking. I bet they've been on the sauce since 3. And I was thinking, <laughs> I wasn't sure if he meant that day or the day before. Well, obviously, the, the tour rolls over to Perth this weekend. Uh, and I believe I can... By the time this comes out, I probably won't be breaking any ex- exclusive, but uh, Saturday night's game will be on Fox Sports 3 uh, and on the red button. Uh, there's obviously a lot of sport going on this weekend with the Super 15 final, but uh, they will be showing the game. So it, I think it's a, it's a 5 p.m. local kickoff, which will be a 7 p.m. Uh, Australian Eastern Standard Time kickoff on the I think it's Fox Sports three on the red button. And then the Matildas the following night. And the Matildas the following Close night. Close season, time. eh? Huh? Cool. Um, so yeah, so I think the next two games will uh, will be a bit more of a spectacle. I mean, it was always going to be a tough gig being at ANZ uh, with an, uh, effectively an away game for the Mariners and twenty thousand in an eighty thousand crowds never good. Uh, no. I believe they've sold around fifteen thousand for the Perth game. Uh, I think capacity is twenty. Right on there, um, there's some issues with the pitch. Kev, the uh, helicopters the helicopter on the pitch to dry. Trying to dry the pitch out. But if we could get, if we could get a decent walk up there and a crowd of twenty thousand, pretty much capacity, then I think we'll see a much better atmosphere. And certainly at, uh, at Amy Park in the 
you know, custom-built rectangular stadium next Wednesday night. Uh, it should be a hell of an atmosphere because we'll have the Melbourne Victory uh, fans who, uh, who always turn up in good numbers and good voice going yeah. at it with the uh, Celtic fans at the other end. Yeah. Is that an original idea, putting a helicopter on a slightly damp pitch? No, I've seen it before. I've seen it yeah. done on cricket pitches. Right, OK. Yeah. I've never, well, before, never yeah, heard of it. I've seen it done on a cricket. Right, OK. Yeah. Just one fast story. Um, it's always nice when a, when a player has a lead <laughs> with a parting shot. And Milton Blyberg is one of these people that seems to polarise opinion. People either love him or they don't seem to love him so much. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, former Gold Coast United youngster Stephen Lesticker uh, has left Australia and he's gone and joined uh, Lubo at Hadjik Split. And uh, his comment was uh, how much the, the style of football differ uh, from Blyberg to, uh, to Balakoff, his new coach. And uh, he said, you know... Um, Blyberg who was his answer yeah so it seems like there's no love lost there he was he was skipper I think of their and they they won the comp twice they're they're excellent youth team yeah yeah um and he didn't go into further details and I haven't actually heard anything more about what's happened there um so I couldn't tell you but yeah like, like you say I mean I've, I've met Miron a few times and I've gotten really well with him a big fan of him but yeah, he will divide people I think he's one of those types of characters isn't he yeah well he's got off to a cracking start Stephen he uh he scored on his debut uh, in a friendly, um, so he, he seems to be uh, seems to be settling in nicely. I'm sure that him and Lubo will be uh, will be hanging out, and uh, always good to have a, a fellow Aussie over there. So yeah, we wish him all the best, especially ones to keep you on the straight and narrow like <laughs> Lubo. <that. laughs> so, yeah. so we wish him all the best for uh, for the next chapter in his career. All right, that's it. We will be back after this break to look at some of the world news as we make headlines. Obviously, it's uh, it's the crazy time over in Europe as uh, the transfer window is well and truly open uh people are signing people are not signing people are requesting a move we'll be have it all after this break this month's 442 magazine features the 50 drills and skills guaranteed to make you a better player so you can dribble like messi shoot like ronaldo volley like rooney pass like chavi and head like cahill it also features our look at the death of brazilian football plus exclusive lucas neal and aaron moy interviews grab the new 442 it's on newsstands today the latest on the world game this is 442 insider Hello, welcome back to this week's 442 Insider Podcast. We're going to round out this week by having a quick look at what's happening over in uh, Europe as the transfer window hots up. Teams are reporting back for pre-season or already at pre-season. We've seen Tim Cale on Twitter posting photos of Everton's pre-season. They've got a camp in Austria. It's been been interesting to see that. Uh, It looks as though Liverpool uh, have not stopped their spending uh, and two deals that are... Very close to being done, it would appear, is uh, Charlie Adam. Yep. He's got to be the oldest 25-year-old. I couldn't believe it either. <laughs> about I saw him on his way to his medical today and I looked <laughs> and I thought, I wonder how old he is. Is he 25? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they, they're still wrangling over the fee. Uh, somewhere It's going to be end up somewhere between 7 and $9 million. Uh, A bigger deal is, uh, is the deal for Stuart Downing from My Boys Villa, uh, our current player of the year. <laughs> Uh, Liverpool are at 15 million. I think we're holding out for 19 or 20, which I think is fair enough. If yeah. Jordan Henderson is worth 20 million, then Stuart Downing, the current England international player of the year, 
Uh, I'm not sure about Jordan, Jordan Henderson for that amount of money. No. He, he, he's a sort of box-to-box, run-of-the-mill English midfielder, the type of player that Liverpool should better produce in the youth academy without too much problem. They shouldn't be spending £20 million on a player like that. Yeah. Um, they've had a bit of a frustrating summer, though, haven't they? The names are escaping me now, but they've been in for a few people, Liverpool, and it's not quite worked out for them. Um, but considering how much they spent in January, albeit with the, you know, the Torres money, money, yeah, um, yeah the it's really, you know, it's always interesting going into the, the, the new Premiership season. But with Tottenham not having to worry about the Champions League, them trying to get back into it, um, and then with with Liverpool going good, that battle for the top four, there's there's six teams that you could easily say would be, you know, good enough for many other seasons to make it. Well, one one team and, and one manager that it's going to be fascinating to watch uh, this transfer window in the the next sort of you know five weeks until the season starts again is is Arsene Wenger at Arsenal because uh, you know he's facing an exodus at the moment. Gail Clichy has gone, uh, has gone to Manchester City. Uh, Seven Sam, million. Sami Nasri is also on City's wanted list, uh, and obviously Cesc Fabregas appears to be edging closer to that inevitable move to Barcelona. Um, you know he's already under pressure for not delivering a trophy in the last was it five five seasons yeah. now. Um, I mean, how how does he react to this? I mean, he's got to go and spend good money now. I mean, he's going to get good money for they're looking mm. at you know thirty five million for uh, for Fabregas. I think for probably twelve fifteen for Nasri and seven for Clichy. So he's got money, but it, it's a case of can he find the players? Mm. I don't mean Clichy's a, a, a huge amount of money for a, for a twenty four year old. Selling them to City as well, you can normally double double your amount. I'm also not convinced he's that good. No, it seems like a bit a slightly strange move. But um, yeah, Arsenal have, have got to go out and spend. I, I always said about the Fabregas departure that. I don't think it's going to be that big a deal because I think Nazari can step up and Wenger can spend the money. Both going is a is a mini disaster for us. You know, but does he does he think that in Jack Wilshire and Aaron Ramsey he's got his young replacements? You know, and just as he, you know, backed Fabregas at seventeen, eighteen, he's going to back Wilshire at nineteen and yeah, you know, um, and Aaron Ramsey. I think Aaron Ramsey's got twenty. Is there not going to come to a point, though, where he's constantly bringing through these youngsters, getting them to a point, selling them, and then relying on another generation? And then it's not like they're having huge periods of success in that turnover. Yeah. I think he's he's got to go out and spend some money. He doesn't have to do a whole squad of you know experienced battlers. He just needs to put a bit of a spine in place in that team and then build the youngsters around them. Well, some of the money that's been talked about, not just from a transfer perspective, but from a wages perspective predominantly for man from man city is just obscene i heard that you know gail cleese is rumored to be on ninety thousand pounds a week you know mm. for what is certainly not a world-class left no. back and nasri apparently is is the the deal that they're putting together is a hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week oh i mean which is just ridiculous he's some way you know? short of a finished product he, he probably would end up being a finished product if he stayed at arsenal but I'd make a prediction that he'll go in and out of that City team and, and slide away. I don't think it's a good move for him. And I was reading last night that um, Jovanovic from Liverpool, who signed on a free, played two games under Dalglish and was picking up £120,000 a week. Oh, it's just it's, ridiculous. It's obscene. Know? Absolutely obscene. And, uh, and, what, and all it means, the, the problem that it creates, though, Trev, is that not, not just, for, not just in, in, the, in the initial period mm. when, when clubs like ours or, or even clubs like Arsenal can't compete with those sort of wages, it also makes the, the players that are left at Man City that are now going to be sort of you know, edged out, 
virtually unemployable because mm. nobody else can afford to pay those sort of wages. And, and so the players are going to have to be faced, you know, a little bit like when, when we saw Chelsea buying up, you know, the likes of Scott Parker and, mm. you know, Steve Sidwell on massive money, you know, and, and not playing, you know. And you look at the players that are there that, you know, like people like Adam Johnson and James Milner and Gareth Barry. Got a fit in the squad as well. Absolutely, you know? yeah, 25 men. So, um... So it's going to be fascinating to see how that is. And, and sticking with Man City, Carlos Tevez uh, has said that he's not happy. He wants to leave. Uh, his family you know, wants to be with his family. I'm sure that his family appear to be more happy in either Barcelona, Milan. or <laughs> yeah, like. I can't see him going back to Argentina. Um, yeah, City have, have stood their ground. And, and I guess probably, you know, Man City is the one team in the in the world at the moment that could play hardball with a player of, of this nature because they don't need the money. No. Yeah. You know, so they've said, mate, sorry, you're under contract. Um, you know, he's on two hundred grand a week in mm. excess of two hundred thousand pounds a week. He's got three years left on that contract. He's the club captain, and they said, right, fifty million. You know, yeah. You can leave. So I guess the question now is is do any of those clubs, you know, will Real Madrid or anything like that come in and offer 50 million for Tevez? When you, you look at the sides, then they've probably got their players in those positions. Yeah, 50 million, no chance. A- absolute no chance that someone's going to come in and pay that amount of money for a one-to-way striker as well. Yeah. So City have got a player in their hands who doesn't want to play for the club anymore. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's not going to be very easy. The fact he's cap- he's not acted like a captain, is he? He's one of those, you know, those captaincy appointments you make t- to sort of keep a player who might kick off in line. Not someone who's loyal to the cause. Just someone, oh, if we make him captain, he might stick around. Yeah. Well, so- he's released a statement, and, and <laughs> this says, I'd like to state that I have great respect for the club, its supporters, and the owner, who have been nothing but respectful to me. I hope that they uh, they understand the difficult circumstances I've been living under in the past twelve months. I'm not convinced that the majority of Man City fans, you know, yeah. will understand the difficult circumstances that £200,000 a week player Carlos Tevez, uh, professional footballer Carlos Tevez, has been under for the past 12 months. Yeah. You know, and it says he's away from his family, but it doesn't say where his family is, you know. And Man City have kind of said that they, that, you know, they believe this is a smokescreen and he just wants to get out and they're going to they're gonna stand firm. Hmm, okay. So... There we go. Um, interesting one, probably one of the more left-field ones, was, was Owen Hargreaves. I'm so pleased we're going to get to talk about this. I can't <laughs> stop you, watching the videos. If you've not, I've not actually watched it in full yet. If you've not seen it, Owen Hargreaves has, uh, has taken, you know, fair play to him, been, uh, you know, shown a bit of initiative. He's uh, put in video on, uh, on the internet, on YouTube, showing that he's, uh, he's fitness, showing him going through his paces in the gym, uh, Rumours that he's going to conduct his transfer on eBay are so far <laughs> unfounded. But go ahead to uh, YouTube and look for Owen Hargreaves comeback. Um, I, yeah, wait. I mean, this is—he's really the forgotten man, isn't he? Well, it wouldn't. It's not even so much the concept that he's putting up YouTube videos. It's what he's doing in the videos, wearing cycling shorts and material over his trainers and sliding up and down this strange sliding thing with his legs attached to this, you know, ball in the... I, I can't describe it, but you have to go and watch the videos. They are so bizarre. At first, I just assumed he's he's got an amazing sense of humour or he's lost a bet. 
because I mean the stuff he's doing and he's on a running machine spinning around going side to side and backwards and they're just bizarre exercises and, and bouncing a ball off a wall you know like you know one of the big sort of all, all his problems all his problems have been sort of soft tissue injuries and it? it's been groins mm. and hamstrings and yeah so I guess he's trying to show that mm. I don't know. They're I mean, right. if he'd hired Muscat to go through him on a challenge and got back up, I'd be more convinced. <laughs> but running around in a pair of shorts doesn't say to me he's, he's going to be fit. Because he was linked with West Ham at one point, because we like paying outrageous wages to people that can't play football because they're injured. So, Well, he's 30, so you know, he's still got time yet. I mean, he's had a horrific run with injuries. You know, after probably being England's best player at the 2006 sure, World Cup. Yeah, and yeah. And then getting, you know, the move to Man United, it's just... Yeah, that was the summer after, 2007, from Bayern Munich for 17 million. But he's only games. made 39 appearances since then, which is uh, it's a real shame. So, uh, yeah, we we wish him all the best with his slightly bizarre comeback. And maybe we'll get down on the A-League. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pay as you, you know, pay as you play. But, I, yeah. I, I think players have been signed for less rather than those YouTube clips on a running machine in the A-League. Yeah. All right, that's it for our uh, our first week back in pre-season. So apologies if we were a little bit rusty, but um, you know we'll be. Uh, so I think it's pretty good. We'll be doing the stretches. We'll be doing some runs in between. Now we'll do should, s- we should have done a video of us doing a podcast to prove that we've still should got it. Prove that we've still got it. <laughs> all right. Well, look, all the best to the Matildas this weekend. Uh, we will be back to uh, pick the bones out of their quarter-final and hopefully uh, the semi-final when we come back next week. So uh, enjoy your football. Uh, keep visiting the website. New issue, Trev, out today. Yes, 50 drills and skills. So we've got Curve Coaching coming on board to you know, give you tips. Dribble like Messi, shoot like Ronaldo. Guaranteed you, to you know, make you a hey, better player. Guaranteed to make you a better Honest. player. And then there's drills and there's lots of interviews with players like Cahill and Schwarzer and Brett Emerton are sort of giving away their their secrets on how to play. I mean, there's so many people playing the game in Australia. So many people obviously want to know how to play it better than we've targeted those guys. And we've also got... Um, Lucas Neal interview, Aaron Moy. Um, Big feature on Brazil. Massive. Brazil. Massive yeah. feature on Brazil. And, What's and going a, wrong there? Our report on how to save them and, and how their team might look in 2014. Interview with the new coach and the talent myth part two. I don't know if anyone remembers our talent myth part one feature from, uh, from about six months ago, I think now, um, about how talent... Well, it doesn't exist. Hard work does, though. Um, and it's a, yeah, really interesting piece. Cool. All right, that's on sale now uh, at newsagents or on the iPad at iTunes or the App Store. Uh, so get out and buy it. Keep us in the job. Keep this podcast going. Um, so we'll see you next week. Enjoy your football. Thanks for joining us. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.